Good morning. We'll see. Wow, it's just Kyle, so that's perfect. Um, we've been looking at the stories uh, that Jesus told uh, really throughout the summer, um, and we're looking at a, a, peculiar, a, a difficult one this morning. John Newton said about this particular passage, you would almost think this was not considered a part of God's Word, nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by His people. Uh, there's a particular reason why I chose this one, and we've been kind of hit and miss. There's so many uh, of these kind of stories, parables, that Jesus told uh, that we get to be selective at least throughout the summer, and which brings us to Luke 14 this morning. There's a lot. Uh, Christians should really care a great deal about what Jesus has to say. Uh, and he has an intense interest in what I would consider to be the most vulnerable among us and the most vulnerable in our culture. Why is that? Well, if you look at his life, he moves in with the poor. Uh, he's raised, actually, by a poor widow, born of an immoral teenager. He shows the greatest respect, at least, for an immoral woman who uh, his culture had completely rejected. Just to sort of one-up this, he refuses to go along with the racism of his own day, making the hated Samaritans uh, the hero of one of his most famous stories. It's hard for us to even imagine this, but he ate with tax collectors, which were truly the most hated class uh, in that culture. In fact, if you were to ask, or his reputation, Jesus' reputation, uh, when he was alive, or at least um, on this earth among his followers, his reputation was this, is that this guy hung out with drunks and prostitutes. Now, there's a side of you that just has to love that, um, that that was his reputation, which brings us really uh, to this section from Luke 14 this morning. Here, uh, these words, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, or you will have to be repaid. So you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you would be with us as we look into the story uh, that your son told. A story that he told to those that had gathered around him, and yet we gather around you this morning, all of us from different places, and yet 
Uh, Father, we need uh, to hear from you. So we pray your spirit would be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the great theologian Bono, uh, who's definitely one of the most celebrated pop stars of uh, our age, he's become an international advocate for AIDS programs, uh, for forgiving third world debt, uh, and for uh, an interesting approach, at least to trade and trade negotiations. Uh, he has urged evangelicals to fight poverty and AIDS, uh, specifically in the continent of Africa. Uh, this was his comment when he was recently interviewed. He said, a third of the world's population, the earth's population, is incarcerated by poverty. And at the end of the article, he summarizes it this way. It is, as they say, the drive of Scripture. Now, why isn't it the drive of the church? This story sort of speaks into that particular uh, summary, that particular look, that particular thought about uh, the church its place in its culture, and specifically um, those that it should be involved with, those that it should be most interested in. Just a story, where does this occur uh, within the life of Jesus' ministry, and where is it occurring actually uh, within the narrative that Luke is telling us? Just first, this is not exceptional. Uh, Nothing about this story is exceptional. What Jesus does, and what he commonly does, he takes something very everyday, very commonplace, um, and he uses it to uncover the exact nature of his kingdom. Another way to think of that, he uses that to uncover exactly what his gospel is and what it should look like. So what is he doing here in this particular story? Well, celebrations were actually uh, just a part of life in the ancient Near East. The society itself operated on a patronage system. Now, what does that mean? It basically means this. People created influence by opening doors, uh, by giving money to people who would turn around and give them business opportunities, political favors. Uh, It would also create opportunities for them to be watched after. In other words, they bought privilege and access. Parties, celebrations were a way to reward critical relationships. It was very important who you invited but also as a way to start, hopefully, new relationships. That's why Jesus at least unrolls initially the people who were on the invitation list to this celebration. You invited people that were your peers or rich or wealthy or influential people that you wanted to become your peers or that at least you wanted to be your friends. Celebrations were expensive. The party that Jesus is describing would not have been cheap and would only have been done if there was an enormous payoff at the end. No one would throw a celebration like this expecting no return. I had a close friend that used to invite me to play golf with him. Um, He was the consummate salesman is the best description. I was a terrible golfer, but he was a great salesman. He normally would play golf and this is not an exaggeration, with a phone in his ear, if you can imagine. He would putt, you know, and he'd be talking endlessly on his phone. He just needed me for a fourth, uh, to be honest. Um, I just rounded out the group. I would go along for the ride. I would ride with one of his customers and try to play nice. I didn't understand anything that they were talking about, but that didn't matter. Um, And his description of these events was this. 
um, I'm going to go and kiss a little behind. We know this well. Our culture is not any different than what Jesus is describing here. It is a culture defined by, I scratch my back, I scratch yours. We claim, normally, we hate the idea of nepotism, that you would hire relatives and friends and people that know you, um, unless you're, you're on the receiving end of that, and then you love it, actually. But all of us know it's not what you know, it's actually who you know. That most of our business contacts, most hires happen not because you're brilliant, maybe. Uh, at some point in your life that may happen. But it actually really boils down to the social contacts, the people that you know, or maybe uh, a friend of yours knows someone. The vast majority of jobs are found through networking, and sometimes, occasionally, not rarely, you have to buy that access. We kiss a little behind. And Jesus gets at just what is going on in this story. Uh, it's not that Jesus is against having a good time with friends. That is absolutely not what he's advocating. Why would I say that? He's also not against business dinners. If you know anything from his life, what you see is that Jesus himself often ate meals with his friends and his peers. If you look at just surface time that he spent, he spent an enormous amount of time with just 12 people, not with crowds, not with anyone else. He spent invested in 12 people. So what is he saying here? This little story, this little story that he tells, attacks sort of the system of his day. Just look at what he actually says. If you want a real party, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. If you want a celebration that reflects his kingdom, and then he unrolls this at the very end, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He intentionally highlights those that cannot pay you back. There's nothing about this list that will increase your social standing in the ancient Near East. And I would be probably just guessed that it wouldn't increase your social standing today either. Um, in fact, what's going to happen is this guest list will decrease it, guaranteed. What benefit would it be to you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? Just a survey and this is only one story of the New Testament, a survey of Jesus' ministry in the New Testament, what you find is that his people should give without any expectation of repayment. That they actually should give in secret because his culture, the ancient Near East and ours as well, is not based on compassion at all. Deeply divided by race and class. We would argue against that, and we would rail against cultures that are based on that, and yet we also know uh, that there's something to it. Tim Keller summarized it this way, a sensitive social conscience, a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy, is the inevitable outcome of a true faith. 
He summarizes it this way. By such deeds, God can judge true love from lip service. This story um, makes us not just uncomfortable, it actually disturbs us. Again, John Newton, he says that this passage gives us a duty to give preference to those who can offer no benefit to us. So who gets the preferences in our own lives or actually uh, in the church or in the Christian life? We would all, or most of us would agree, that we should be universally concerned about the poor. That's true. Or those who have no influence or those that Jesus describes as crippled, blind, and lame. Uh, We would say that they should get something, but the question is, who comes first? One of the true marks, actually, of this church, one of the hidden, I guess, it's not a secret, but here, the outsider always comes first here. Because we don't see our money as belonging to us. It's not ours. One way to put this story, or one way to at least look at it, is this way. Jesus is saying we should spend far more money, far more of our energy, time, efforts, on those without influence, than we do on our own entertainment, our own vacations, eating out or hanging out with friends. To be blunt, the disposition of our possessions really equals the disposition of our own hearts. Most of us would claim an open home, and yet, do we, are we, if we're Christians this morning, are we pursuing those with no influence? what he's advocating here, what Jesus is sort of challenging us on, and really what he's laying is the foundation of his kingdom is one of this kind of activity. Jesus goes so far as to say this, when you embrace those who really are completely unimportant, basically what you're doing is you're embracing him. Now, how do we do this? Uh, Even this morning, as we recognize the ways that that really is not something or rarely enters into, uh, is, is not a priority for us. So how do we do this? What this is not, what this story is not, is not about guilt. It's not about making us just feel terrible about ourselves uh, and our situation. What Jesus is also not advocating is just a better ethic. Uh, this is just a better way to live life. You'll be a good person if you do that. That is absolutely not what he's saying. What he's also not saying is you'll feel better if you do this because that maybe, maybe not. Um, It's also not just a religious activity without real justice, which, by the way, is really deeply offensive to God. This is not just something you add on is what I'm saying. Because if you're a Christian this morning, what it really means is this is who you deeply are. And it's not just something that Jesus sort of invents out of the blue. It actually is a constant theme throughout the Old Testament. One writer said this, this highlights how Jesus in his suffering and death stands in solidarity with any human being who suffers, especially the poor, the forgotten, and the powerless. See, how do we actually begin to see this unrolled or seen in our own lives? There's only one way for that to be done. And perhaps we could ask ourselves a question in the story. Where do you see yourself in the story? 
Are you the one giving the party? Uh, it might be another way to phrase this. Because Jesus says, look, when you give a luncheon or dinner, so it's easy for us to sort of fall into the idea that I'm the one who's giving the celebration here. Or instead, are you the one invited? Because I just want us to think about the descriptions that he gives in verse 21. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The poor in the ancient Near East, they really had nothing to offer. Scraping by having nothing to give, actually. The crippled, unable to move. Or at least unable to be productive. The blind cannot see or even can't even imagine what is offered. There's hope, actually, in this passage this morning. And why would I say that? It's this. Um, if those can be included, if those are included, if that's the nature of His kingdom, then there's nothing that holds you back from being present. What do I mean by that? Uh, there's nothing to gain by having me present. You know, when I look at this, one of the reasons that I decided to do this one is because I find there's great hope in this story. Why? Um, and there should be great hope for you. Because if God can include me, trust me, He can include any of you, uh, might be a better way to describe it. Blind, crippled, poor, lame. Nothing to offer, and yet God brings them in. The more you see that, the more you see God bringing you in, the more you see God giving to you, the more you're able to give your life to those around you. The more you're able to quit sort of making categories and looking at someone, well, they don't deserve it. Uh, they're, you know, they've got nothing to offer me. It's such a, an energy drain to be around. It just goes on and on. The more you'll have an ability to actually begin to heal this community. If a Christian this morning, will you? See, this story is an invitation. Jesus is giving a great banquet. Lavish banquet is the way he describes it. Uh, a great banquet. He's inviting many guests. Will you join him? Uh, and will you actually see that sort of materialize in the world around you? There was a Christian leader in the third century named Lawrence. He was, by every description, a great deacon in the Church of Rome. Um, and according to tradition, he was not in charge of the holy things, um, which meant... Uh, he wasn't over a communion and the chalices and the candlesticks. But instead, Lawrence was in charge of the church treasury. Um, and in Lawrence's day, what that really equated to was the mercy fund of the church. A public opinion had sort of turned the tide in Rome against the followers of Christ. And one day, uh, a city leader asked Lawrence to gather up and give him the wealth of the city. Lawrence sent back a message like this, I don't deny that our church is rich and that no one in the world is richer, not even the emperor. I will bring forth all the precious things that belong to Christ if only you will give me a little time to gather them together. And this city official quickly agreed to this. He dreamed that he could have more money, wealth, silver, and gold than anyone could even imagine. Lawrence, on the other hand, had a different dream, and he ran about the city collecting all the church's treasures, he called it. But they were not the sort of treasures that the city official had in mind. Instead, he walked through the alleys and the squares of Rome and gathered the real treasure, he described 
as the church's treasure. The poor, the disabled, the blind, the lepers. The people he gathered in the church included a man with two eyeless sockets, a disabled man with a broken knee, a one-legged man, a person with one leg shorter than the other, all types of people with grave infirmities, according to the story. He wrote down every one of these individuals and he lined them up at the door of the church. And only then did he actually went out and found the city official and brought him into the church. And he said, here are the treasures of Christ. And Lawrence declared and presented to this astonished official this ragged crowd, and this is what he said, their bodies may not be beautiful, but within these vessels they bear all the treasures of divine grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love and mercy that you gather those who really have nothing to offer, and what good news that is for those of us that are broken. Because we come to you this morning, all of us, whether we are aware or not, that we bring before you empty hands and empty lives, and we are thrilled with the idea that we can come and join you at your great banquet, and that we can invite others to join us as well, not based on what they've done, but instead because here we are vessels filled with your grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We come now to this table. This table is not the table of our church or our denomination. It is the Lord.